my name is Muttle Balliston. Just a quick show of hands, how many other Muttles are here? How many others? <laughs> you see, that's the goal, is to fill this place with, with more Muttles. <laughs> I want to see my own Jewish people come to a saving faith in our Jewish Messiah, Yeshua, or Jesus of Nazareth, as the world calls him today. Our desire, both my wife and I, and we're both Jewish believers. She grew up in a Sephardic Jewish home in New York City, I in Ashkenazic Jewish home. Uh, She actually has a rather strong Orthodox background. She went to yeshiva as a young child. But we both came to faith in our early 20s that the God of Israel had sent us the Messiah of Israel, which he had promised. And so we are happy to share that message with our own Jewish people. We are working mostly in metro northern New Jersey, into New York City occasionally. A lot of the fabled Jewish population of New York City actually now lives outside of the city. And so we oftentimes interface with folks who commute back and forth into the city. So we're very involved with uh, the Jewish community there. Our goal is very simple. It is to share the good news of the arrival of Messiah Yeshua, Messiah Jesus, to see them then come to saving faith in that Messiah, and then to become discipled, to grow in their faith, and to join with the rest of the body of believers. That's why we read that Ephesians 2 passage this morning, because it talks about that process. Because the early church were all guys with names like Muddle, (laughs) If you read the, especially if you read through the book of Matthew, you see a Jewish enterprise here. The world, the Jewish world of that time was waiting for a Messiah. They were expecting him to come. Things were being stirred up. There was revolt in the air against the Romans who had occupied the land that God had given to us. And people did not know what to think. So when Yeshua, when Jesus makes his appearance, Many people who were reading the scriptures recognized that indeed he was the Messiah. Unfortunately, many others of our Jewish people were firmly ensconced in the traditions. The traditions said one thing, oftentimes the scriptures said another. And for them, oftentimes, the authority were the traditions of mankind. And Jesus himself spoke about that. He said, you make of of no account the things of God because of your traditions. We all like tradition in its place, but tradition can't replace the truths of God's word. And that's what we want to be all about. So over the years, we have seen uh, many good things happen. We've seen many Jewish people come to saving faith in the Messiah. It's been my personal privilege to uh, immerse a good number of those Jewish believers in Messiah. And then about three times as many We have seen uh, go on to discipleship because people will often be sent to me, Jewish people who have made a profession of faith in this place or that place. There is a special process of discipleship that needs to take into account some of the unique concerns that oftentimes are brought to the table. Jewish people who announce their faith to their family are often, they're they're shunted aside they are made to feel unwelcome at family gatherings or or made to feel as though they had betrayed the family. And so we need to address that. We need to speak to that. In fact, uh, next week, I will be officiating at an event, 
the Hebrew baby naming, where there is a couple who are Jewish believers down the Jersey Shore who are trying to reach out to their family, and they're going to have me officiate a very traditional thing, and that is the, the bestowing of a Hebrew name to their two children. And so we will be doing that. There will be relatives there who are still outside of Messiah, and we want to demonstrate that in giving these Hebrew names and in recognizing that these children are part of the covenant of Avram Avinu, of Abraham our father, that this couple has not abandoned their identity. I am not a converted Jew. I'm a converted sinner. And I'm still Jewish. If you're here and you're Polish, Irish, or Italian, mazel tov. It's, It's wonderful to be any of those things. But I can't be any of those. I can only always be ethnically Jewish. Because Jewishness is both an ethnic identity, but it's also a modern religion. And our desire is to simply point out at a certain point the Judaism that we see around us departed from the instruction of the Word of God. Well, yes, I well understand they are focused on the Torah, but oftentimes the traditions take precedence. And so our desire is to call people back to the Scriptures, to the Jewish Bible. The Jewish Bible, the Old Testament, was the only Bible the early church had. So when you read in in Timothy, all Scripture is inspired of God and beneficial for teaching, for understanding, that's referring to the Old Testament. It's the only Bible they had. We can preach the gospel fully and totally out of the Hebrew Scriptures. That's what the apostles did. (laughs) When they wanted to open up the Scriptures, that's the only Scriptures they had. The New Testament did not come until the very end of that first century, around 90 or 100 A.D. So we are preaching the Messiah crucified. Yes, he is a stumbling block to many, but those who embrace him understand that he is the Messiah that God promised to us. So we're, we're thankful for your support over the years. I see Mrs. Johnson and a few other folks that we remember from years ago, and God is going to sustain you, and God is going to keep you. I think the decision you made to engage um, some help uh, for your pastoral search is a very wise one. Uh, I've been on those committees uh, two or three times, and you will really, I believe, open, be opened up to the possibilities that God has in front of you. So good things ahead, and I'm encouraged about that. We do thank you for your faithful prayer and support over the years. Our family is doing fine. Um, I don't know if I have the postcode. Yes, I do. Our family is doing fine. My wife, Deborah, our son, Jacob, although this photo is around eight years old or so. Uh, and we are encouraged by your prayer. We're encouraged by your support. We've seen fruit for those investments. We've seen Jewish people come to a saving faith, and we've seen in a number of congregations, the, the elders, the deacons, they have names like Muddle. <laughs> and that's what we desire. But as we turn to to God's word, one of the things that is interesting when you look at the New Testament is that if you really are aware of the context, and in good old Bible college, you know, I learned on, on the first week, context is king. A verse outside of its context will become a pretext for anything you want it to mean. You need to be involved in the context. That's how people understood the scriptures. 
So if you look at the context, particularly like the, of the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those synoptic gospels, it is, in this so-called Christian New Testament, it is a thoroughly Jewish context. The location is the land of Israel, specifically the province of Judea. There is a Jewish king on the throne by the name of Herod. Yes, he's a puppet king of the Romans. I well understand that. From years of teaching Jewish history, he's a puppet king. But ostensibly, at least, they they have the illusion of having their own kingdom. The temple is functioning in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount. That Temple Mount that where the, the Western Wall is, the most famous symbol of Judaism, it is functioning. The priests are going about their duties. The Pharisees and the Sadducees are arguing among themselves over who's right. And the people are annoyed that the Romans are still occupying the land. So as you go through the New Testament, that is the Jewish context. The first thing that Jesus did when he declared his public ministry in Luke chapter 4 was to walk into his hometown synagogue every Saturday morning, every Sabbath. The family of Messiah Jesus would have been present for the reading of the scriptures in the synagogue there in Nazareth. That is typically what is done on a Saturday morning. They have a big Torah scroll. There's a reading table. The scroll is unrolled. And through the year, there is a schedule of readings, both from the the books of the Torah, the five books of Moses, and from the Haftarah, the, the books of the prophets and the writings. There would have been those readings. And so one day, Jesus, who had been traveling, comes back to his hometown synagogue. Everyone noticed he grew up here, but he's been away for a while. We hear he's been speaking to God. Something unusual is happening. But they could see that he was wrapped around God's word. So they invited him to the bima, And he opens up his, to do a drash, as we say, to do a, a teaching. And he opens up to the book of Isaiah, where he says, The spirit of the, God, of the Lord God is upon me, because he has anointed me. And in the original Hebrew text, the word there in Hebrew is Mashiach. He has messiahed me. (laughs) The word Messiah used as a verb. He has messiahed me to bring good news to the afflicted, to, to lift up those who are downtrodden, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. With that, he rolls the scroll back up, and he says to them, today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus proclaims himself in that synagogue setting to be the Mashiach, to be the Messiah that they were expecting. Then as you go through the New Testament, the context does not change. Jesus is walking around the land of Israel, the city of Jerusalem. It's an entirely Jewish context. And so how do we get from that entirely Jewish New Testament context to the fact that here you are in this church, you built a very nice building, And 99% of you, I imagine, are not from Jewish backgrounds, and yet you're worshiping the Jewish Messiah. Have you all gone nuts? You know, why did you abandon Thor and Zeus and all of the gods of your your ancestors? Why did you give up those, those, those Greek and Nordic gods of Europe? Let's explore that. It's probably never been put to you in that in that way before. But if you would open with me to Genesis chapter 12. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 12, just four, four passages we're going to look at this morning, 
And in Genesis chapter 12, there is the turning point of the Bible. You know, let me make a bold statement that's going to seem a little bit over the top, a little bit extreme, but I'm going to make it and I'm going to prove it. Everything in the Bible from Genesis 12 onward is the outworking and the result of these three verses. Genesis 12 verses 1 through 3 contain a very dramatic statement from God to Abraham. Everything in the Bible that happens after that point is the result of these three verses. Friends, if you understand how truly that is works out, your Bible knowledge will no longer be random. See, I've met people who have a lot more random Bible knowledge. They can recite in, in minutia stories from the Old Testament but they have no idea where it goes in chronology. They have no idea under which covenant those things were said. But if you have an understanding that all this information goes on to shelves, that God has not capriciously set motion, set history in motion just to have it randomly play out. He has made agreements with the human race. Some he makes with the human race generally, those are called the general covenants. But we're going to see here in Genesis 12 that God makes a specific covenant with the Jewish people. He calls the Jewish people into existence, actually, with this covenant. And God is going to make this covenant as an irrevocable, it was irrevocable, or if you're from Brooklyn, it was irrevocable. Uh, I need to try to, you know, remember I'm not in Brooklyn anymore. It was unbreakable, you could not change it, and it was not dependent upon your behavior. Some covenants in the Bible are dependent upon your behavior. God says at Mount Sinai, if you will obey me, then you will be blessed in this and this, but if you curse me, you will be cursed in this and this. It's a a covenant that is conditional. In contrast, the Abrahamic covenant made 400 years earlier is unconditional. God said, this is what I'm going to do. In fact, he didn't wait for Abram to agree or disagree. If you know your Bible history, he put Abram to sleep. And God himself made the covenant. So let's look at those verses. Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your father and from your relatives and from your father's house to a land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and so shall you be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and then the one who curses you I will curse, for through you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Let's work backwards. Why did all the families of the earth need to be blessed? I would submit to you it's because they were caught in a cycle of sin and death and sin and death. No one gets out alive. You, you do your 80, 90, or 100 years perhaps, and then this phase of life ends. You know, this is, we're, we're souls. You know, some people think, oh, my, I'm a body and I have a soul. Wrong way to think about it. We are souls who just happen to have bodies for a temporary period of time. (laughs) 
We are souls with bodies. We are created. When God created us, it wasn't particularly the body. It was the soul that God has created. That's why we hold to the sanctity of life, because God is the creator of these souls. But we have a problem. The problem is that we are separated from God. Uh, In the Jewish Bible, it's very clear in the book of Isaiah, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, neither is his ear so dull that it cannot hear, but your sins have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins make it so that he does not hear. That's our problem that is going to be addressed here in verse 3. All the families of the earth were caught in the cycle of sin and death and sin and death. No matter how good-looking you were, no matter how talented you are, no matter how many degrees you've got after your name, the end of it is always the same, and the cause of it is always the same. It's because we're sinners by birth and by choice. We only get better at it as we go. And so, that's our problem. So all the families of the earth needed to be blessed because all the families of the earth were in in deep trouble. Again, we just look around us and we see the human experience. We see cemeteries filled and some of the stones are very recent. When you scan a cemetery, I'm doing a lot of research into my own genealogy and uncovering amazing things. And one of the things I needed to do is go to a cemetery, Jewish cemetery in New York uh, City in Long Island and scanned the cemetery, and I could see my grandparents' stones were the older gray granite. But among the, the newer stones, these are all Jewish people to be buried in the ceremony, in this uh, cemetery, there are some newer stones. The Russian Jewish people like to have these black stones that are glossy, and they'll have engravings of the person. It's, for a lot of us who grew up on that, the older traditions, it's a very a hard to, to see that. But that's their tradition. And so as you, as you look out, sometimes I'm shocked to see young men in their 20s and 30s who are in these graves. And so that's why, verse 3, all of the families of the earth needed to be blessed. How in the world is God going to do this? He's going to bring to the world a Savior. Just to rehearse some basic theology here, because Adam and Eve sinned, As their children, we have inherited the result of that sin. You know, uh, when you see a a, a mother and child and dad, cute little family, and you look at the child, he's, oh, he's got dad's eyes, but he's got mom's mouth, and he's got, you know, Uncle Tom's cleft chin. And, you know, you're always looking to who in the family he resembles. Well, you can always find something. Biological children are always going to have some aspect of that. Uh, and so it is with us. We are biological children of Adam the Chava, Adam and Eve, and we have inherited their sin nature. That is not something unique to Bible churches. That is something the scripture maintains thoroughly throughout God's word. We are sinners by birth and by choice. But here's the problem. God doesn't like schmutz in heaven. Schmutz is a Yiddish word. If you know any German It'd probably be the same. It's dirt. It, it's the grunge of life. But we not only are born in that, but we accumulate it. We look pretty grungy at the end of things. And so when you're knocking on heaven's door, why should I let you in? You're covered with schmutz. No, no, no. 
that's not a way to go into heaven. This is why the scriptures say we are clothed, and there's a Hebrew verse in the Old Testament, when you receive the garments of salvation, we're clothed, big day Yeshua. Big day are the clothing of, and then the next word is Yeshua. That's what the Jewish Bible says. The name of Jesus is actually there in the Jewish Bible as an object over a dozen times. Don't let anyone tell you you don't see the name of Jesus in the Old Testament. Old Testament wasn't written in English. It's not going to be there in English. The the word Yeshua, the first three of the four letters, is the same word, and you have to change the ending anyway. So we're clothed, according to the Old Testament, if we do the things that God has called us to do, the result is we're clothed, big day Yeshua, we're clothed in the garments of salvation. And the word for salvation there is Yeshua, the only name by which Jesus was called. And so there we have in the, in the Jewish Bible, in the, in the Old Testament, an illustration that a day was coming when God would clothe us in the garments of Yeshua. So that when you present yourself to heaven, you're no longer presenting who you are, but God looks you over and he says, oh, you're clothed in the garments of salvation. Your sins have been atoned for. Yes, you belong. You're my daughter. You're my son. Please come in. And so that is the reality. Unseen because we live in this, the flesh. Friends, it is so easy to keep our eyes on, like with blinders on. It's like we, we don't look this way. We just see the things that we're used to seeing. But there is a real realm a real kingdom that super is imposed on, on our own, where real spiritual battles are being fought. This is not a fantasy. This is reality. Occasionally we see the, we see the result of this when, when something happens and, and heaven reaches down and grabs us and shakes us or, or prevents something terrible from happening. We see God's intervention in our lives. And this reality that we need to have our sins atoned for is something first preached here in the pages of the Jewish Bible. So in Genesis chapter 12, I'm going to bless those who bless you and for the one who curses you I will curse, for through you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God would bless all the families of the earth through Messiah Jesus. But Messiah Jesus would have a family in which to be born. He would be born into the Jewish family. Listen, the last thing that Satan wants to happen is for the Messiah to be born. Because way back in Genesis chapter 3, Satan heard the words that there is this child coming, this son who is going to be given. And you're going, Satan, you're going to be able to successfully bite him on the heel. But guess what? That heel is going to keep coming down and it's going to, it's going to crush your head. And so Satan understands that the arrival of Jesus the Messiah is the beginning of the end of him. And so he did whatever he could in the Jewish Bible, in the Old Testament, to prevent the coming of the Messiah. Why did every, just historically, why did every world power, starting with the Egyptians, then the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Medes and Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, all of these successive world powers, why did every single one of them 
take their shot and drag their armies far away from their base of operations to aim at this one little nation of Jews. Let me suggest to you that it was a supernatural reason that Satan was using this to try to cut off the line of the Messiah. Think for a second. If the Jewish people had died in the deserts of Egypt, if they had all been slaves unto Pharaoh endlessly, who would never have been born? Jesus would never have been born because he was being carried in the loins of the Jewish people. That is why you see so much war in the Old Testament. And that, my friends, is why you continue to see anti-Semitism today. It's all tied together. Satan wants to try to cut off and thwart the plan of God. And that's why you have in verse, the first clause of verse 3, what we used to call back in Brooklyn a protection policy. Okay? You touch a me, I'm going to touch you. No ethnic um, in, in identity is, is implied there. Okay? It says, I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. In other words, if you put your hand on this, my people that I have chosen, you are going to be touched by God. The Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Medes and Persians, the Greeks and the Romans, every one of those kingdoms bit the dust when they attempted to meddle in the plans of God. Because God keeps his promise. And this promise is still with us to this very day. And so... Abram was told to leave his country, start a new group of people. And here we see the birth of the Jewish people, to send the Messiah. The birth of the Jewish people is for a purpose. It's to send the Messiah so that all the world can be blessed. So that's very nice. So from Genesis chapter 12, where God is dealing with all the world, all of a sudden he does this. He narrows his focus, puts on blinders, and for the next thousand years or so, He's dealing almost exclusively with the Jewish people. Well, that's, what, that's very nice. Well, what are you guys, chopped liver? You know, did God forget about you? No, he did this so that ultimately, one day there would be a Messiah who your ancestors would recognize was a way to place their faith in the God of Israel. For instance, in Psalm 96, we see uh, a sort of incredible, almost impossible statement if you don't understand what's going on here. Psalm 96. You know, the book of Psalms is the hymn book of Israel. It is the book of praise of the people of Israel. The book of Psalms was not in the possession of the nations. They didn't use this as a book of praise. When Psalm 96 was written, it's around the year 900 or so B.C., give or take a few hundred years. So there is a call to worship Jehovah. So it says there in verse one, sing to the Lord a new song. Uh, those who have the, I'm reading out of the New American Standard. Does the NIV have the word Lord all in capital letters? Yes, okay. So here's what's happening there. Good translators want to tell you that in the original Hebrew text of the Bible, the word there for Lord is not the usual word for Lord. Whenever you see the word Lord all in capital letters, the translators are trying to hip you to the fact that the, the word there in Hebrew is the Hebrew word yud heh vav -Hey. It's the personal name of God. 
it is often mispronounced. Some people will mispronounce it as Jehovah. Nice try, but there's no hard J in, in Hebrew. It, a little closer is like Yahweh or Yehovah. All of those are possibilities. But thankfully, we don't know exactly how to pronounce it. People would be using it as some sort of attempt at incantation. But it says there, sing to Jehovah a new song. Well, that's what you would expect to find in the book of Psalms. It's the hymn book of Israel. Sing to Jehovah a new song. Sing to Jehovah all the earth. Wait a second. Do you know that this book of Psalms only had circulation? If we had a globe here, it would just be a tiny little speck. It had circulation just in the Middle East, in the land of Israel, where the Jewish people were. Spin the globe. How are the people in South America supposed to sing to Jehovah? And yet it says, sing to Jehovah all the earth. Sing to Jehovah, verse 2, bless his name, proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day. Tell of his glory among the, what's the next word there? Nations. In other words, don't just keep him to Israel. We already have him. Tell of his glory to all of your ancestors. Broadcast it. Let the peoples of the nations know that God has not forgotten them. Let the people who are worshiping idols, who are bowing down to statues of wood and stone, recognize that shortly they will have an opportunity to come to know the one true God, the God of creation. And so Psalm 96 is broadcasting kind of as a preview, pre, you know, attractions here, coming attractions, for something that God is going to do before too long. Verse 3, tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among the peoples. All the peoples of the earth, all the Gentile nations, tell the goyim, tell the nations that God is not forgotten his promise back in Genesis chapter 12 to send a Messiah to them. Tell of his glory to them. And then it goes on to say, in verse 5, these are kind of like fighting words. You want to see something very politically incorrect? Here we go, verse 5. For all of the gods of the peoples are idols, but Jehovah made the heavens. Basically, he's saying, you know those statues that all you guys worshiping, all those idols? Idol smidle. <laughs> he's, like, he's like sticking out his tongue and teasing them. You guys are just walking up the wrong tree. You're worshiping these dumb idols. You take a piece of wood, half of it you cast into the fire to keep warm. The other half you carve and you bow down and worship. Idol schmidl, what are you doing this for? Jehovah made the heavens. So here in Psalm 96 is a, is a call that one day the Messiah is going to come and he's going to open the doors. He's going to fling those doors wide open so that all of you folks can come. Exactly how this is, going to, is this going to happen? The pr- plan progresses historically, so we turn a little bit to the right to the, in the Bible to Isaiah chapter 49. We see God unfolding revelation. One of the principles that I hold to of Bible revelation, those of us who hold to a natural, literal understanding of Scripture, would, would understand that God has something called progressive revelation. It's not a political term at all. Actually, it simply means that over time, more and more of the plan is revealed. It progresses through, 
and it unfolds and we see more and more. So here in Isaiah chapter 49, this great prophet Isaiah makes more of the plan visible. He says to them in verse five, verse five, Isaiah chapter 49, and now says Jehovah who formed me from the womb to be his servant. Now the word servant there, in in the Bible there are two entities that are coined with this term servant. Israel is given the title of servant. You You were to be the servant of Jehovah. They were told that when they were in the desert, when they accepted uh, at, at Har Sinai, when they accepted uh, the Torah, when they accepted the, the Mosaic law, they were to be God's servant to bring his light to the nations. We didn't. We failed miserably. Instead of bringing God's light to the nations, more often than not, when Jewish people found themselves in pagan lands, a percentage of them wound up involved in those pagan practices as well. That's why the theme of a remnant within Israel, very important, the theme of a remnant within Israel is going to crop up over and over again through the scripture. So verse five, and now says the Lord who formed me from the womb to be his servant. So Israel can be the servant. So if you would ask the rabbis, who is being referred to in verse five? Oh, they would say that's, that's Israel. Israel is Israel. And they would point you to verses where it says Israel is the servant of God. But wait a second, let's continue to read. I've formed you to be my servant, to do what? To bring Jacob back to God. The word Jacob is a a compound word there for all of Israel. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then Jacob had 12 sons. All of the Jewish people are descended from Jacob. Jacob is the forefather of the 12 tribes. The 12 tribes make up Jewish people ethnically. And so, the word Jacob is another word for the Jewish people. So the servant is, has as his purpose to bring the Jewish people back to God. Oh, wait a second. The servant is an individual. Yes. The coming Messiah is called a servant. The servant of Yahweh. He is a servant of God. And the difference is he is the faithful servant. He is the servant who carries out the task he's been given. So now says the Lord who formed me from the womb to be his servant to bring Jacob, the Jewish people, back to him because they had wandered in order that Israel might be gathered to him. Then he says in verse six, it is too small a thing. It is not enough that you should only be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. That's job one. That's not enough. You're gonna have some idle time on your hands. I will also make you, verse six, a light onto the nations. The original phrase in Hebrew is or ligoyim. I will make you a torch, a bright light onto the nations so that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. In your Bible, you see that it's two words there, my salvation, right? Two words, my salvation may reach the end of the earth. Do you know that in the original Hebrew text, in all Hebrew texts, there's only one word there. So that my Yeshua, it's literally the one word there is Yeshua T. Yeshua T, literally my Yeshua. The only other way to understand that is my Jesus. 
Yeshua is the only name by which Jesus was known. So when God says, I'm going to make you, my faithful servant, a light unto the nations, you're going to be the light. Understand, you're going to be the light so that Yeshua T, my salvation, my Jesus, may reach to the ends of the earth. Isaiah 49, verse 6, is your Magna Carta. It's the verse where God is specifically planning for your non-Jewish ancestors to have opportunity to come to the light of the Messiah. It's spelled out very, very plainly. Even a bad translation can't uh, you know, confuse it. It's literally that my light, which is literally there, it is my light, my salvation. My salvation is my Jesus, Yeshua T. God is saying it in first person. He is my Yeshua. He is my salvation to all of you Gentile nations. So verse six is addressed to the Gentile nations. That's the promise. How is God going to carry that out? Well, we all know the Christmas story that in the fullness time, God sent the Messiah born under the law, born of a Jewish woman, born under the law to free us from the law. It is no accident that in Luke chapters one and two, really read Luke chapter one and two with your Old Testament beside you. Mary says, this is the fulfillment of the promise that God made to our forefathers, that God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Growing up in a neighborhood in Brooklyn that various streets were either mixed Jewish or Italian, I thought that Mary was an Italian Catholic. No, 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 she's a Jewish girl who in, in, in Luke chapter one is all of a sudden realizing that she's going to have the Messiah and she says, my soul rejoices in the Lord because you have looked upon me with favor by bondservant and that all of this is being done, why? So that, I can, so that there's, there's going to be this new religion started? No, that's not what she says. All this is going to happen in fulfillment of the promise that you made to our forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the Messiah that we as a Jewish people have been waiting for. Then Zacharias, Zechariah, the father of John the baptizer, says essentially the same thing in the same chapter that all of this is being done in fulfillment of the promises that you made to our forefathers, and he mentions Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's a continuation. You don't take your New Testament and say, what a wonderful new religion this is. No, it's a continuation. If Jesus is not the Messiah of Israel, then he's not the Savior of anyone. If you recognize and embrace him, as the Messiah promised in the, in the oldest pages of the Bible, then your faith has deep roots. Friends, you have not believed in a cleverly concocted story that someone made up 2,000 years ago. You have come to recognize that the age-old promise from the deepest, oldest part of the Old Testament, that God was going to send the Messiah and the Savior to the people of Israel, and then once that Messiah came, the doors would be flung wide open so that whosoever will might come. And that's what has happened. And the result is there in Ephesians chapter two, which 
We just saw projected on the screen a little while ago. So if you turn there with, to me as we just close with that. In Ephesians chapter 2 is the result of this God's promise to send the Messiah, to send the Savior. So in Ephesians chapter 2, an amazing passage. He first addresses here in verse 11 the people in this local church at Ephesus who would come from non-Jewish backgrounds. And that probably was about 90% of them. Uh, Ephesus was largely a non-Jewish congregation, whereas some of the other congregations were very heavily Jewish. It varied from one place to the other. So he says to them, verse 12, remember that at one time you were separate from the Messiah. You were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. It's very bleak. You were sitting in darkness in the shadow of death is what another passage says. But now in the Messiah, you, all of you who used to be far off, have been brought near by the blood of Messiah. For he himself is our peace, who has, who has brought both groups into one. The Greek is very precise here. It doesn't say that the, the distinction has been dissolved, but you remain these two identifiable entities, Jew and Gentile, because Gentile believers are still addressed as Gentiles, uh, for all with due respect to our heavily reformed uh, friends, the church is not the new Israel. God has a plan and program for Israel, and there's no way to read Romans 9 through 11 and not understand that. You have to cut that out of your Bible and call God a liar in order to say that God is done with the Jewish people. He continues to say, especially in Romans chapter 11, that he is going to turn his attention to them. So the Gentile believers in, in chapter 11 are addressed as Gentiles. They don't become spiritual Jews. I, and kind of dangerous to say people are emotionally attached to that, but that's the teaching of scripture. But you do not have second class citizenship. God has no stepchildren. God did not make a mistake when he chose to create some of you as Irish, Italian, or whatever your background is. God has a plan and program for you to be able to use those connections to have influence in that group of people. I'm attempting to use my connection to have influence in my group of people. God did not make a mistake when he created either of us. And so here in this passage, he's, he's saying to you who used to be separated, you've been brought into the same tent. We're all having like a big old church picnic. It's raining, so we're all gathering in the tent, but we're all together, all one. We all have the same mom and dad in essence. We come from different places, but we're committed. We've all been saved in the same way. No one gets into the kingdom. Jewish people don't get into the kingdom just by virtue of being Jewish. The scriptures are very clear. There is no other name under heaven by which any person would be saved other than the name of Messiah Jesus. The only way for Jewish people to be saved is by exercising personal, individual faith that Jesus is the Mashiach. And that's why we do what we do. And so here in Ephesians chapter 12, and that's the reason I asked for it to be read, he himself is our peace. He's brought us both into one tent 
and we look around the tent and we say, look at all the different sorts of people here. There are people with dark skin and light skin and people who talk funny and people who talk with British accents and people who talk with Brooklyn accents. But we were all equally saved and genuinely brothers and sisters. And that's the goal of the church. The church is to be the place where God's sons and daughters have assembled for instruction, for growth in the things of God, and for worship and praise. I certainly pray that God will, in his time, yet quickly, (laughs) bring the under-shepherd of his choosing to lead you in that great enterprise, recognizing that you have not come to a faith that is some 2,000 years old, but you have been grafted into what Scripture here calls the commonwealth of Israel. The British commonwealth has lots of different nations. They all look very different. It's not all England, but it's all this big commonwealth of nations. So how are we all related? How are you all related to me? In that we've become brothers and sisters through our common need of a Savior, and that is in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah of Israel, who was promised in the Hebrew Scriptures and whom my own Jewish people more and more are coming to realize is the Messiah. Would you pray with me? Our Lord God and Savior, we we praise you and we thank you. Forever you are the living God of Avram, Yitzhak, Yaakov, and not only the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but you are the God of all those who call upon you. Lord God, we thank you that so long ago in the pages of the Torah, you promised to send to the world a Messiah. That promise was kept and Jesus was born. Lord God, we thank you that when we come to trust in him, he takes our sin as far as east is from the west, so far does he take our sin away. Lord God, I thank you for all of these here today, my brothers and sisters in the Messiah. Each one has come to a saving knowledge of you. And they've come to recognize that there is salvation in no one else. At the same time, Lord, I recognize that there might even be one person here this morning who is simply here by force of habit or friends insisted. But we would simply pray that that person would recognize that there is no hope, there is no salvation. There is no way to stand in front of a holy God other than being clothed in the garments of Messiah Jesus. Our Lord God, we thank you that you've offered those garments to us freely and that when we don those, when we are wrapped in those garments, he takes our sin as far as east is from the west, so far does he take our sin away. So our Lord God, we thank you for those precious truths and we thank you for what Messiah Jesus has done for each one of us. And it's in that precious name that we pray. Amen and amen.